Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series for 2018-2019. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Jonah. Actually, why don't we, uh, let's start with a little nigun. Can we start with a little nigun together before we get started here? So before we jump into the book of Jonah, let's uh, ask some questions. Um, let's just throw some questions out. Maybe you know nothing about the book of Jonah, and you can ask a question based on that. Um, and maybe you know some stuff, and you can ask uh, a more abstract question. And um, we'll return to these. Anyone want to throw out a question? Uh, I have a question oh, based on just the front page. Great. Uh, where is Tarshish? Great. You have, you have a, there's a sense that Tarshish is out, out of the Mediterranean, it looks like. Great. OK, good. OK, great. All right, anyone else? One question I, um, I want to throw out is, why is this read on Yom Kippur? Traditionally, on, the, on the, the Haftarah of the afternoon of Yom Kippur, which would lead you to believe this is like the highest of the high of the books, right? The, the most, the most sa sacred of days. If this book is when it's read, um, you would think it would be obvious as to when it's read then. Um, a question that you might have thought of uh, initially, why do anti-Semites like this book? Okay, maybe we'll see that, yeah. Anti-Semites might like this book. So um, as you may recall, the Tanakh, which is today inappropriately called by some the Old Testament, right? And in um, academic or interfaith circles, Old Testament is considered a derogatory term, uh, uh, you know, understanding that the, that the New Testament is the enlightened and the old is, uh, is outdated. So as Jews, we either we call it Tanakh, or in academia, they call it the Hebrew Scriptures. And the Tanakh, as you know, consists of three different sections. The Torah, the five books of the Torah, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and Ketuvim. That's why it's called Tanakh. Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, the writings. So this comes from Nach, the books of the prophets. And, and in those books, there are um, the first four major prophets, um, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. 
That's where a lot of the stories we think of where they come from. And then we have what we call the Nevi'im Acharonim, the later prophets, the major ones of Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then um, Jonah comes from Treasar. The Treasar are the 12 minor prophets, okay? Um, Hosea, Yoel, which is Joel, Amos, Ovadia, um, uh, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. A lot of those you've probably never heard of, right? But we don't study these books for, for a lot of reasons. And a lot of those are very short books. There's a lot to unpack there. And we know less of them than we do about like the Psalms, for example, uh, in, which would come in the writings later. Um, in Israel, it's very popular to study Joshua because that's all about the conquest of the land. And it, it's very kind of geographical. Um, and so that's very attractive to those who are kind of uh, studying the land today. Um, social justice circles, people like Isaiah, because it's a prophetic voice of justice. Jeremiah is the prophet of doom, of course. So um, Jonah um, is famous in our house because we have a puzzle um, where he's falling off the ship. And our kids like to build it at least once a month and argue about whether they're, they're happy to be throwing him off the ship or not happy to be throwing him off the ship. And the story takes, takes place during, hi, Barbara. Uh, let's, uh, no problem at all. It passes down to Barbara. Oh, great. Uh, this story takes place, at least in the narrative, um, during the reign of Jeroboam II, which is the 8th century, happening between uh, the first destruction of the temple. Right? There were two temples. Some people yearn for a third. Some don't. Some people feel this temple is just fine. Um, and uh, that period um, is that gap between the destruction and rebuilding the temple. And so some Midrashic materials are specifically writing for that 8th century BCE time period. However, scholars say the book is actually written um, probably in the late 5th, early 4th century before Common Era. So roughly 2,500 years ago, okay? And fragments are found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in the Qumran Caves. And this is not only popular for Jews, but it's popular for Christians and Muslims, uh, the story is found in, in an alternative version in the Quran. And for Christians, it is interpreted in the books of Matthew and Luke. And why would this story, anyone have any guesses, be particularly um, poignant or relevant for Christians? It's what we call uh, 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 typological or typological, um, which means the character before the life of Jesus is a representative of Jesus for them. So part of what we'll see is that he is in the fish for three days. What would that represent? Three days in the grave, right, before resurrection. So they'll, they'll, they'll look back at that meaning. Um, also, um, it won't also be just perfect similarities. It'll also be differences. The city of Nineveh, as we'll see, which repents, they say, oh, that Jesus' generation does not repent. So there's a lot of stuff in the news today about is it derogatory to call Jews Pharisees? The answer is yes. Um, unequivocally, the answer is yes. That when, those, when people actually, Mayor Pete, a Democratic presidential candidate, was critiqued because he talked about um, the stubbornness of the Pharisees. That's considered an ancient um, classical anti-Semitic trope to talk about the Pharisees' stubbornness because the Pharisees are Jews, right? We, we broke off from the Sadducees and the other groups. So to critique the Pharisees is, is, uh, is to critique the, uh, the, the early post-Temple Jews. So um, Christians are also very interested in this story. And, um, and um, we will come back to some of those questions we looked at, but why don't we jump right into the text? 
the first chapter. Again, as, uh, as we said, only four chapters here. We'll go around and trade off verses. Um, if you don't wish to read the verse, you're welcome to, um, to just say pass. And just be prepared that I might um, cut you off. <laughs> so, uh, David, why don't we start with you? Verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying... Good. Okay, so um, what's interesting about his name? Anything about his name? Jonah ben Amittai. Jonah, the son of Amittai. What's interesting about that? What does Jonah mean? To give. Or to, uh, Receive. Oh, you're thinking, yeah, you're thinking from like matana, like matan Torah, that's the give. That would have to have a tough in there also. So the Yonah, any story in Genesis it rings a bell for? The Yonah is the dove in the Noah story. So keep that in mind, that, that the word for dove is Yonah, and when Noah is looking for salvation, they send out the Yonah, okay? And then Ben Amitai, what does Amitai come from, any ideas? Emmet, ah. truth. So he is the dove, the son of truth. Okay? So now, what does it mean, bain, ben Amitai? There's two ways you can read that. Son of. son of. Either his dad's name is Amitai, right? Or it's a characteristic. If you were a ben shalom, you're, um, you'd, be, you'd be a person of peace. You're a ben emet. You're a person of truth. Right, you call someone a, a Baal Sadaka or a Ben, well, you wouldn't say Ben Sadaka, but Baal Sadaka is the same idea. Someone who's a philanthropic type of person, right? So, so, so either this is his dad's name is Amitai or he's a person of truth, okay? All right, Howard, let's keep going. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim against it, for their evil has come before me. Okay, great. So almost immediately, it's so fast, we don't know anything about the guy, and immediately, kum, kum, get up, go. Right, he's charged to, on his mission. Now, where's Nineveh today? So go, looking at our map, wh wh where is that place in Nineveh? Anyone know? What's that? It's Iraq. Iraq. Yeah, it's, it's, it's modern-day Iraq. Actually, it's funny. So I'm on an airplane six months ago, and I open up um, a history book on Nineveh. Right? I, I, I'm sure people have better things to do on plane than that. But, but in my world, I open up, I sit, as soon as I sit down on the plane, I open up a history book on Nineveh. What is it? And the guy next to me goes... He, 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 you know, and, and he looks at me, and I go, oh, I'm in trouble. He saw the keeper, And, and the, the worst question on an airplane for me is, um, are you a rabbi? Because I know. I'm like, I can't get out of here. And the next question is, what's the Jew's view on afterlife? That's always the question. So I'm like, oh, no, check, please. You know? So this guy's looking at me. I said, oh, what's going on? I, I, I put my head deeper into my book. I'm, I'm normally a pretty social person. But an airplane, I kind of want to get some work done. So he looks at me, and he says, you know, he's clearly Middle Eastern. He says, that's my hometown. Excuse me? He said, I'm from Nineveh. He said, you are? He said, I'm an Iraqi refugee, and I grew up in Nineveh. And I, I said, I put down the book. I said, tell me everything. <laughs> right? And we spent the next two hours. Then there's a Christian guy in the aisle next to me who starts talking about, are you talking about Jonah? I love that book. I saw that. All of a sudden, we got the whole front of the plane is studying the book of Jonah, right? And the Iraqi guy, for the fourth time, offered, offered to buy me a drink on the plane. I said, listen, I don't want a drink. I want to study. Yeah. Finally, I was, I was insulting the guy. So then the guys next to me get a drink. We're all having scotch, and we're talking about the book, book of Jonah. It's like a, you know, the whole plane was having a good time. And was, so Nineveh is not just the city. It's the ancient empire of Assyria. Right, the ancient empire of Assyria. And it's going to be relevant that they weren't a 
probably predictable in human history. They weren't really friendly to Jews, the ancient empire of Assyria. They weren't big fans of Jews, okay? Um, but what's interesting about this is it is a city um, all about, of, of Gentiles. There's no Jews there, right? It's all, it's all Gentiles. And so that means that essentially this entire book, maybe the only in Tanakh, is a book that's all about Gentiles, right? Which is interesting also. Um, it's, and and there, there's this one character, this one Jewish guy, and his relationship to the Gentile world, in particular to the empire of the time, right? And it says, arise, go to this place. If you look back at your map, you'll see that he's, he's in Israel over here where it says Yaffa, right? You've been to Yaffa right next to Tel Aviv on the coast. Um, and it says, go to Nineveh, okay? So go over to Iraq, right? Today, if you're Israeli, uh, you can't even get in, of course. Not, not that you want to go. Um, today, um, the great city, it's Ir Hagadola. We'll see that many times. Ir Hagadola, the great or big city, and proclaim against it, for their evil has come before me. Ra'atam. It comes from Ra. They're evil, so we have to understand what's their evil. Their evil has been great, so you should go over there. Now you can imagine, um, you know, nice, uh, nice Jewish boy living in Israel. Go to Iraq and tell them they're doing it all wrong. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm going to run at that opportunity. So what happens? Judy, what happens? Verse 3. Great. Okay. So what is so the first thing that God does in the text, it says, go and be a prophet. What's the first thing Jonah does? He runs, he runs away, right? He runs away. So he is the quintessential rebellious prophet in our tradition, right? Um, it's already startling why this is the Yom Kippur reading, right? Um, and where does he go? If you look back at your map, um, he doesn't just run away. Where does he go? The exact opposite way. Right? 550 miles that way, five times the direction the other way. Right? What appears to be southern Spain, right? Yeah, southern Spain. So um, he, he's in Israel, go to Iraq, immediately flees the other way, um, and gets on a ship, which is, by the way, the opposite of who? I mean, I mean, all the prophets in Genesis. But if you look at Abraham, for example, right? Go sacrifice your son, right? What, what, what does Abraham say? Yeah, okay. I mean, he doesn't actually say anything. He just goes, right? Which is also startling because this is the same one who challenged God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then immediately after, he's like, go kill your son. Okay, no problem. <laughs> no, uh, no ethical problem there. You know, my ethical problem was over there about killing that wicked city, but no problem here to kill my son, right? So Abraham just runs and goes, right? And Yonah is, is, is the opposite. Now, it's interesting. A lot of the commentaries, and by the way, if you have questions or thoughts at any point, just jump in. Well, maybe yeah. this is why the, the Christians um, look down at the Jews because of this book, is God's prophet, Jewish prophet, disobeyed God. How strong could the Jewish God be? Oh, if, uh, okay, excellent, if, excellent. If okay. The prophet does the opposite of what uh, God told him. Okay, great. So this is one of the ways of showing clearly the Jews are not the right, uh, uh, re true religion. Um, because of this type of prophet and, yeah, the power of this God. Exactly, yeah. Well, also, um, because he was a prophet, yeah. he was proselytizing to a community 
that was all non-Jewish, and right. maybe they resented that. Yes, okay, interesting. Yes, exactly. In fact, um, and, and they go further. So if you look at some of the old writings from like St. Jerome or Augustine of Hippo, um, that, which are, have deeply anti-Semitic tropes to them, um, they will say, um, well, you know, we'll kind of get to this. But essentially, um, why doesn't he want to save their lives? See that? The Jews are only about themselves. He has the opportunity to go and save this, this whole city of Gentiles, and he runs the other way. The Jews are tribalistic. They're ethnocentric. All they care about is themselves, right? Um, and you'll see that throughout the, um, the commentaries, the, the non-Jewish commentaries. Right. But, you, but your point was, was also, um, also really interesting, kind of saying the opposite, really, right? So um, um, now, one of the things the commentators pick up on here is v'yitain schara. Now, the, what's great about commentaries is that Jews are such non-literalists, right? When people are like, like sometimes a Christian will ask a Jew, what do you do with the verse in Deuteronomy? Be like, it's been reinterpreted 50,000 times over the last, you know, 3,000 years. I don't have to do much with that verse anymore, actually, right? And so, um, but, the, but the, the other side of it is that um, they'll also kind of have wild interpretations, which don't seem to be there in the text. So, v'yitain schara, he paid its, its hire. Now, um, how do you interpret that? He went down for the ship and he paid, he paid, right? So, how do you interpret that? He paid for his ticket. So, so, what would be an alternative reading instead of he paid for his ticket? He paid for everyone's ticket, right? <laughs> he paid for everyone's ticket, right? Um, which one way to interpret that is that he wants to get out of there as fast as possible. The commentators say he pays for everyone's ticket, wants to get out as fast as possible. But the other implication they have there, it says this in the Talmud, and this is their proof text. Now, this might sound a little disturbing. A prophet had to be rich. To be a prophet, you had to be rich. Now, um, that's interesting, right? That's what it says in the Talmud, a tractate of Nida. Now, um, that kind of challenges my conception of the poor, humble shepherd, right, who has nothing but speaks truth to power, speaks the word of God at any cost, right? But they had to be a person of means. Now, what would be a charitable interpretation as to why that might be? So they won't be sinful. Ah, OK, good, right? Um, because. Um, Right, they, um, they might be more easily influenced if they didn't have, uh, if they didn't have means. Okay, another, another one, yeah. Um, they may have something, they would have something to lose, yet the prophet, the rich prophet wouldn't care. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. If you're poor, what do I have to lose? Yeah, oh, that's fascinating, Never, yeah, right. Right, right, right. Um, that, oh, okay, good. Yeah, so there's actually something at stake for them. Right? Okay, yeah. But they're willing to give up. Yeah. Well, also, uh, you know, if you're rich, like with Kevia, well, you know, everybody comes and questions you and asks you, and after all, if you're rich, you must know ah. Oh, yes, good, good. Which is certainly true today, too. People with uh, more means have a larger platform to speak um, politically and, and, and in, you know, um, and in many other contexts. Certainly, uh, the types of awards that are given out to billionaires or the platforms they're given or the opportunity to run for political office um, and the like, given to those, uh, those of means. Okay, any, anyone else? Why else, why else what, what else would be a charitable interpretation as to why a prophet would have to be rich? You can't be bought, right? The idea that um, um, you have your own... Um, 
self-sufficiency, every king in the Tanakh is given a prophet to critique them, right? That you can stand on your own. If you lose your social circle, you lose your job, you're going to be okay, right? Um, and so the prophet is someone that can sustain themselves um, in a way that um, someone else, there'd be too much at risk for, perhaps, right? So, um, you know, and by the way, some of the prophets are bought in the Tanakh. It, it, it was a common ancient practice to pay a prophet for the prophecy, right? But you say, listen, you can't, I'm not, I can't be bought. I'm not, I'm not giving you prophecy. You know, I'm here to speak the truth, right? Okay, so um, it is an interesting thought. Now, to be sure, that's just one Talmudic commentary. You can make a counterargument against that to say, actually, there's, you know, many prophets in the text that actually clearly weren't of means. Um, but if you look at some of them who have, you know, uh, who seem to have uh, some level of prophecy, Abraham is pretty rich, um, you know, towards the end. Um, yeah, you know, uh, Jacob, you know, when they leave Egypt, they leave with a lot of Egyptian means. In fact, the Egyptian are, Egyptians are asking for, for reparations. That when the, <laughs> have you heard that today? Still, every few years, the Egyptians are saying, the text says you left with some of our stuff. <laughs> Which is, what is our response to that? Give us our slave reparations. You didn't pay us for 400 years, right? <laughs> um, so, um, you know, they, King David, King Solomon, obviously they were people of means. Um, okay, now, um, what, would it, what would it mean, what would it mean today? What would it mean to run from God today? You know, literally or not literally. What would it mean to, to be a, a Jonah-like figure today? So a real believer would say you run from believing in God, right? You're not facing the truth. That, you withdraw from your community. What's that? You withdraw from your community. Withdraw from your community. Okay, great. You draw from your community. Or withdraw from the questions even. Withdraw from the theological questions. I can't even look, I can't even embrace theology. I can't even think about it, running from God. Yeah, and yeah, you, well, you might say an atheist, one who simply rejects God, running away from God, right? Um, and, you know, an agnostic is not necessarily so bothered by um, a challenge. Well, I, I, know, I think there's something. I don't know what it is, so I'm not so disturbed by different models. If you're an atheist, you might be really disturbed by someone who believes because I'm, I'm committed to a truth of, of no God. Yeah. Commit sins. Great, great. Okay. Which takes us back to why this is read on Yom Kippur. Okay, interesting. Right, right. We run from, um, we know we're doing things wrong in our life, but we can't slow down to actually look at it, right? We can't actually look at those things. One might say we're, we don't embrace the, truth, embrace the truth of our own death to come, right? Which, what's the ultimate, ultimate sort of coming to God, so to speak? It's in our death that we, we're not at all prepared to die. Um, we're only shocked if, if death were to come upon us. We might say we're, we're running for moral responsibility. That's the way Heschel uses the book of Jonah, that those who were denying the Holocaust, those who were not looking at the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki as he looks at, those who were embracing Vietnam, that's the way Heschel as sort of the second, second, century, second half of the 20th century uh, uh, prophetic uh, interpreter understands it. One might say, uh, you know, we, we don't embrace a spiritual life, you know, or we can't sit in silence. Um, so anyways, it's a question, you know, and maybe that's one of the connections to Yom Kippur also. What, what in our own way are we, are we running from God, however we understand that, that model to be? Okay. Jonah, the yeah. son of truth yeah. Oh, good, yeah, exactly. The son of truth is running away. Yeah, uh, yeah, fascinating, right? Um, okay, so, my goodness, I, 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 I thought we'd be through chapter two already. Okay, uh, okay. All right, so now we're up to, all right, we're going to go a little faster. All right, we're up to verse four. Thou, Lord, cast the mighty 
Okay, great. So here we, we see the whole model of divine intervention, raises questions of theodicy, and, um, and a miraculous intervention. All right, let's keep going. Oh, the commentators love that. Everyone's freaking out on top, and he goes to sleep. <laughs> I'm tired, right? What's that? He's at peace. He's at peace. He's doing just fine. And actually, the language there is yarad, twice. So the, the commentators say that um, running east is always a sign of running towards God. Running west is running away. <laughs> I don't know if that's true of like the 1850s in America, running to the gold, you know? Was that 1850s? That's what it was, 1850 gold rush? Um, but, but also, he, what's that? Yeah. But he's going to turn his back. Right. Now, again, Sinai. Yeah. Thinking, yeah, exactly. It's a, all the problems in the world are out there, yeah. right? It's never, it's never has anything to do with me. And yeah. He's escaping his responsibility mm -hmm. again rather than helping the crew. Yeah. The right. Right. He goes to bed. Goes to bed. And the language for go to bed there is yarad. He goes down. Just like running west is considered worse than going east, so too, aliyah, going up, right? what's it called to, to move to Israel? Make aliyah, right? Is, is considered a spiritual ascent. Yarad is going down. And twice in that verse it says Yarad. He went down, and then he goes down, which they understand is going to sleep. He's already in the bottom of the ship, and then he goes even lower. Okay. And in verse 3, the word down is used for Jonah once twice. Oh, good, good. In, in, where, in verse 3, you said? Oh, uh, oh, yes, yes, exactly. Good. Okay, excellent. So he's already gone down. He went down and then down, down even lower. Okay. Now, the commentators also, it says, it says, that the sailors were frightened. They all cried out to their God. They want to say that every religion, every nation is on this boat. So they understand this is the whole universalistic paradigm, right? All of the world is on this boat. Every type of person is on there. And, and again, going back to anti-Semites, and the Jew goes to sleep, right? Well, they're all crying for their lives up top, right? Okay, verse 6. Let's keep going. And the captain approached him and said to him, Why do you sleep? Get up. Call out to your God. Perhaps God will think about us, and we will not perish. Okay, so, so why does the captain go to him? Kum, kara elohecha. You might just say, he wants everyone, or he's bothered by the guy sleeping downstairs, you know? Um, or you might say um, um, that he knows. Like, they have a sense that, that, that there's something special about his relationship to God, or about him. So that's already a first chance they're giving him, right? They're already giving him a first chance. All right, keep going, verse 7. Okay, a second chance. Now, casting lots, where else do we see that in our tradition? Purim, very nice. And what's the connection with Purim to Yom Kippur? Yom Kippurim. It is the day ke, like Purim. Right? That Yom Kippur, that ke means like, right? That Yom Kippur is the day like Purim. Now, you couldn't think of a day that could actually seem anything more like the opposite of Purim, right? And yet, the rabbis contrast Yom Kippur with Purim, that they're actually very similar, right? Um, in, in, in ways that we can, we can think more about. 
Uh, that would be a whole sort of a second session on looking at Yom Kippur and Purim and, and, and what those are like. But there, in the Purim story, they cast lots, just like here. We also see um, in, um, in, um, in Leviticus, in Vayikra, especially a, a Rashi there, around, uh, around a certain casting of lots. Um, but here they give him a second chance. Okay, let's go to verse 8. Yes, please. That, that is one possibility among a few we're going to entertain. Okay. okay. What, what was the other one we already suggested? Someone can't, suggested. Can't run away from responsibility. Can't, right. Can't run away, can't, um, can't run away from responsibility. And, um, and now we say, see also this idea of casting lots, okay, which is kind of a, a, a back pathway to get there. All right. Let's keep going. Great, great. Okay, um, okay. So that's a third chance he gets. Now his now now he responds. Is this the first time he speaks in the text? Okay, okay. So this is his okay. And actually, it's a pretty noble first uh, remark. Let's see what he says. Okay, Ivri Anochi. I'm an Ivri. I'm an Ivri. Which Ivri is a fascinating word, right? Ivri is not, it's not a Hebrew. Um, well, I mean, I mean, you could say it's a Hebrew. I mean, that's kind of where it comes from, Ivri. Um, it's, not, it's not Yisrael. It's not um, Yaakov. I'm, 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 ben, I'm Ben Yaakov. Um, it's not, what else could it have been? It's not I'm Ben Yehuda. I mean, you could have said all kinds of things of who he is. But he's an Ivri. Ivri also means kind of on the other side. It means that the eternal role of the Jew is to push back on the norms of society, Right? We're kind of like a little thorn into the norms of conformity, right? Uh, arguing on the other side of things. But he says, Ivri Anochi, I'm an Ivri. Like, this, this doesn't seem like the guy who runs away. What is he talking about? I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord who made the sea and the dry land. Interesting that he says sea and dry land too, right? Why, how, how, I mean, why do you think he says that right now? Yeah, clearly I know that God is the one in control of the sea, just, just in addition to the land. Um, but he seems to not be running there. Yeah. This whole thing be made into a case of him saying, God takes you, you take responsibility for what's going to happen right. to them. Right. To me. Yeah. And so therefore, I can go to sleep. Right. 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 Yeah, it, it's, it's all completely out of my hands. Right. Um, well, he used the word fear, where he could have used, I worship, I revere. Right. Something on a more positive. Yep. Yeah, um, what's, the, what's the Hebrew there? Uh, oh, yare, yeah. So there's two, there's two primary words for fear. One is pachad, which is like a real fear. Yira is more of an awe. It's, it's more of like, wow, God is amazing, than it is like, I'm worried God's going to strike me down. But that would be pachad. Pachad's like, God's going to kill me. Yira's like, whoa, God is amazing, right? So, you, David, are you going to say something? That. that oh, you're going to say that. Okay, yeah. So, Not the pachad part, just the yeah. Yeah, I mean, Yira could still be pachad, right? It's used in all kinds of different ways. But it's much more of a Musar trait. Like, in Musar, if you're working on your character, you don't talk about pachad. Like, having fear of, like, getting hit, run over by a train is not, like, a good character trait, right? Uh, it might be that we should be afraid of some things in the world. <laughs> Maybe not too much, but, right? Um, but Yira is a good trait. It's good to feel, like, awe in the heavens. You know, it's kind of humbling, right? So, um, 
so yeah, so it's interesting that this is the first thing he says. And I think you're right. It could be read as, um, I'm not in charge here. Right? What do you want me to do? Right? I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just a you know, humble uh, 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 you know, ship rider here. Right. Does that even fit his fear now? Mm. Right. So right. So if you read fear the other way, be like, and you said, um, yeah. So I don't think that's the literal read, but I think it's an interesting read. That actually, what I'm doing here is like I'm just terrified right now, and I'm running away, right? Um, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Oh, good. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Oh, okay. Interesting. Right. So he's not, he, he's not owning it. He's actually coming off as righteous. Oh, actually, like, I'm a God fearing person. Right. Yeah. It's a little chutzpahdik, right? And like, he's the macher on the boat. You're right, he's the macher, right? He's the one who paid for everyone. All of a sudden, you could almost imagine, like, ten, you know, 10 other guys, like, free ride? I'm jumping on the boat, right? They're, they're, they're going for ride. You know, the guy who paid for us, tell them why he's not praying. Tell us why he's the one in charge. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, okay, right. Right, and, and it didn't work. It didn't work with everyone else, uh, as far as we know. It doesn't, I mean, obviously, the captain's coming, and it didn't work. Okay, verse 10. Okay, but there the word is yira. So there it does seem to imply that the type of fear earlier was not just awe. It's actually a pachad. It's a real fear, because I don't think they're just sitting there like, whoa, God's amazing. I think they're kind of scared for their lives, right? Okay, sorry, the men were very frightened. Okay, a fourth chance. Again, they're not just throwing them over. They're like, what are you doing? Why have you done this? You know, they're not just like, get the guy off. Okay, keep going. Oh, and they said, and then, and they said to him, shall we do this so that the sea die from upon us since the sea is becoming stormy? Right, they're not, you know, counseling themselves. They're asking him, what should we do? You know, what do we do? We don't want to kill you. They're the righteous ones here, right? Another, again, another, uh, another possible anti-Semitic thing. The Jew, he doesn't want to save anybody. He's got the power to save them all. He doesn't. But them, they're willing to die. They're willing to die to save the guy who's clearly the cause of this. Look, they're like begging him. Like, what do we do? Or, Tell us what to do. Okay, verse uh, 12. Okay, so we see his first desire for death. Yeah, he, he is willing, and, and this is another sign of the complexity of the figure. Is this guy a rebellious, non-virtuous person? Or someone, you know, is he just lazy and sleepy, right? Or is he someone who's virtuous and is like, look, I'm, I'm the cause of this. Uh, you know, I, I, like, I'm worthy of death, ultimately. 
So the rabbis in the Midrash there understand this, um, that what they do now is they're so hesitant to kill him, they raise and lower him at the water. And when they lower his body, his he- like his head hits the water, the storm stops. So then like, oh good, it stops. So they raise him up because they want to keep him alive. And then the storm starts again. And like raising it, it's almost like a cartoon. Like raising him, lowering him. And then eventually, and then eventually, verse 13. And the men rose vigorously to return to dry land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming stormier Okay, so still, they haven't thrown him over. They're working as hard as they can to get to the shore. That's the fifth chance they've given him. Okay, 14. And they called to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, let us not perish for the life of this man, and do not place upon us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, as you wish, you have done. Okay, sixth chance. Now, what's, in, what's interesting there is um, earlier it said each prayed to their own God, kind of, right? Here they seem to be, have a united United, it's like one of those like tragedies happens in the world and an interfaith community comes together. Everyone prays together. Like now they're in it together. All right, verse 15, David. And they picked Jonah up and cast him into the sea. Okay. And the sea ceased. Clearly Jonah's asking for it. Clearly God's asking for it. So they say, okay, we don't want to do this. We've given you six chances. Maybe you can count even more than six. They throw him in. Okay, last verse of the chapter. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They made sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. Okay. They gave zvachim, which is the traditional Jewish term for giving sacrifices. Um, and it doesn't say they're like happy and having a party. It doesn't even say they pray a prayer of gratitude. Right? It says um, that they continued to fear God. And, um, and they gave... Um, they gave uh, Sacrifices, which makes sense. Sacrifices is an expression of gratitude. But then it says, they gave nadarim, which doesn't make a lot of sense. They made oaths, which is kind of like um, you have a near-death experience, and you're like, I'm going to live different, which we know empirically lasts no longer than six years. <laughs> right? Um, um, those those end-of-life experiences. It depends on the conversion, because now the kids picked up the Hebrew habit of, of, of this type of a sacrifice. Ah, interesting. Right. Oh, so what is it? What are you saying? Is that it's what? Ah, okay, interesting, that it's their kind of conversion to something. Okay, interesting. And they're taking on this practice of sacrifice. Interesting. That they've had some kind of conversion process here. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. Okay, all right, let's jump to chapter two. Okay, so as we said, Christians like that part, three days, three nights. That's, the, that's Jesus in, in, uh, um, in the grave before resurrection. And um, this huge fish, this is the fantastical part of it. This huge fish emerges. Is it a whale? Moby Dick loves this, right? Moby Dick picks up on this. Um, he only references Jonah, I think, twice in the book. Um, I read that, I'm not an expert in Moby Dick. <laughs> I just researched how many times he, he, he mentions it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and three is also an interesting Jewish legal term. It's a chazaka. If something happens three times, it's set. It's like um, there's a tradition of doing annulment of vows. If you did something three times, it's like you've taken it on, right? Um, and so, what's that? The gets. The, the gets. The, oh, the gets, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, interesting. Or, and, and, and similarly, that you're supposed to turn away, or traditionally, you turn away a convert three times. You want to convert? No. You want to convert? No. You want to convert? No. You want to convert? Okay, come on in. Right? So three times. So um, he gets swallowed up by this fish. Right? It's amazing. Okay, verse two. Jonah prayed. Mm-hmm. Okay, now for Hebrew readers, how does the name of the fish change from verse one and verse two? What is it in the third word of verse one? And what's it in the last word of, of verse two? Dog. Dog. Daga. Dog and daga. It's a boy fish and then it's a girl fish. What ha- what's going on there? So if we were radical, what'd you say? <laughs> yeah, and if we were more radical, this is a transgender whale, right? <laughs> Literally, the same fish changes gender. It's a, it's a, it's a boy and I switch his girl. It's a non-binary, as they say, it's a non-binary fish, right? It's, yeah, why? Because it's a boat, you said? What do you mean? Okay, that's interesting. It's so, okay, good. So, so Barbara says it's not, it doesn't have a gender to indicate that it's not actually a living object, right? It's not a living being, right? Or that dog is the way he experiences it. It's as if he's within a fish, right? Um, the way the traditional commentators take it is that they say there's a male fish, and just like all human history, the male fish eats the woman fish, right? Um, and now there is now a fish within a fish, and so he is still within the male fish, but now he's within the, the woman fish, within the, within the man fish, right? <laughs> okay, all right. Wait, which I, I still think the shot, the literal read is it's a transgender fish, right? I mean, I don't know how else you can read the text. I mean, that's clearly what's going on there. And, you know, so uh, it has, a, it has a, 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 you know, a sex change. Um, so, okay, so he, anyways, um, uh, so he's, he gets swallowed up by this fish. He's in there, he prays, and... Um, from within the belly. And now we're going to see a little bit about how Jonah prays. Okay? Who's up? Is that why you see I see it many times uh, a picture of Christians that actually have a fish. Have you seen the logo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's the Greek symbol. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So why is that? Anybody know why? They, they put it on the, on yeah. the coffins, the tombs yeah. of, of early Christians. Yeah. Yeah, why? Why was the fish representative of Christians? Because he, Jesus said that the, the milk of oh. the minions with the three fish. Oh, 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 okay, interesting, interesting. Okay. Oh, so, so, oh, so it's not a negative. It's, oh, it's, no, a, positive. No, no, no. it's a positive. It's a positive sign. It's a positive identity. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, so I, I, it's interesting. I don't know uh, if anyone, I, it's interesting why Christians haven't embraced the fish as a symbol of, I mean, I, you don't see like a fish necklace. I mean, obviously, you'd have a cross necklace, but you don't see fish as uh, used today as a Christian symbol. Yeah, no. Oh, interesting. What's that? Yeah, but, but that's from the ancient. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Interesting. The, the, yeah. The Greek word for Jesus translates to fish. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Huh. But when, when like the Pope, when the Pope is feeding people, does, is the, like there's all these stories these days of the Pope feeding the homeless. Like, is he feeding fish? Is that like part of the? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, okay, very interesting. Okay, so now verse 3. So he prays. And he said, I called out from my distress to the Lord. And he answered me. 
Okay? Now, it's interesting where he prays from. He prays from Sheol. Sheol is one of the uh, Hebrew terms for hell. For what's that? Hell. hell. Yeah. Normally we talk about Gehenna, right? But Sheol is one of those phrases also, that, which is, uh, you know, people say, oh, Jews don't believe in hell. This, these types of phrases appear throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, Sheol. So, and again, and, 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 and Christians like that too. This notion of, um, I, you know, and, and, and I don't know enough about this. Maybe someone here can share if they do. Um, but the notion of Jesus going to kind of a hell in, that, in, that, um, in those days. Um, some kind of concept here of, of he goes into hell in that, while he's in the fish, essentially. Okay, verse 4. All right, let's keep going. And I said, I have been driven away from before your eyes. Indeed, I will continue to gaze upon your holy temple. Keep going. Water has surrounded you, even, even to the soul. The deep encompassed you. The Red Sea hangs over mm. All right, let's just finish up this chapter. Okay. Okay. So um, we, could, we could unpack that prayer for like three hours. But like what, what, what essentially is that prayer and what is it not? Well, maybe it's Jonah saying, God, I made a mistake. Well, I don't see that. Where do you see that? Where do you see? No, I don't see mistakes. Yeah. God, I'm with you. He's praying to God, so God, I'm yeah. with you now. Oh, okay. So definitely, yes. God, I'm with you. I don't see, which is, the most, which is what you would expect. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm wrong, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, God, I'm with you now. You definitely see an acknowledgement of divinity, even a kol toda, a voice of thanks. Well, what's he thankful for? I mean, he's not, he hasn't been saved yet. It's true. He's in this kind of place of refuge. Um, you know, and clearly a spiritual reflection of coming close to God. But you're right. There's, you would expect Yom Kippur reading. What would he say? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Where do you, where's that? Yeah. What I vowed, I will pay. Interesting. Well, the vows that they did with the sacrifices a few verses ago. Mm. Uh, uh, chapter uh, one. Verse 16, they yeah. all made sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he was thrown off. Yeah, right. What I vowed, I will pay. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Yes, right. I've been driven away, right. Nigrashti. It's actually interesting also because Gerush, Thank you for pointing that out, because gerush in Hebrew means is a language of divorce. You call it grushin. Grushin is the formal language, the traditional language of divorce. And so, uh, it's, I have been, I was like passively divorced. It's almost like, God, you alienated me away, right? Which is interesting. I mean, and I guess the charitable read of Jonah is he was asked to do too much. You know, it would be like asking, 
a spouse like, will you make me dinner seven times a day? Right, I don't know. Like asking something to be like, no, I'm out of here, right? I, I, I can't do that. So it's, is it my fault that I'm running away or is it your fault that you asked me to like go to Iraq and you know, tell them they're doing wrong? Yeah. Mm. So he is making some kind of uh, commitment or, or uh, appreciation. Okay, so, so the formal Amidah, so, so the Shemona Esrei is typically understood as to be divided in the first three blessings and then um, the final three, and then I know we call it the Shemona Esrei 18, but there's really 19 because one's added. 19 minus 6 is 13 in the middle. So the first three are considered to be um, what we call shevach, praising God. God, you're great. The middle 13 are requests. Here's what I need. We need health and we need financial support and we need like redemption in the world and all these things. Final three are hoda'ah, thanks. So, the, so, so the, you, and you could kind of lay out the theology of Jewish prayer this way. You start with praise, you move to requests, you close with thanks. He does shevach here, he does praise, he does hoda'ah, he does thanks. Um, I, I, I don't know that we saw a formal um, request, did we? I don't think we saw save me. Did we see that? You know, again, we could analyze this prayer for a long time. Um, and we certainly don't see the, you know, the, you know, um, yeah, atonement. Yes, please, yeah. The way I take that, what I vow I will pay, he accepted the, the job. Yeah. And he's saying, okay, now I'm going to do what you, what you requested me to do. Yeah. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Oh, okay. So I, okay. So I'm, I, so I'm ready to fulfill your mission. Like, and maybe that's, and that comes right at the end. Um, uh, I vow, right. That's right when it happens, essentially. Right. So, so I think that's a really smart read. I, what I vowed, I will pay. I mean, it's not clear he ever vowed it. You know, unless, in, unless he's thinking like, in my heart, I decided in here, I vowed that I would do this. And now I will pay. I will make good on my internal promise. And that's when he spit out. What's yeah. the option? He either stays beside the fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Or he takes up yeah, his mission. right, right. Which, by the way, the fish in one of the radical midrashim, the rabbinic sources, the, the, the fish is a time traveling machine, and they understand Jonah goes back in history and goes and visits the slaves in Egypt, and he goes back to Garden of Eden, and he visits, and he visits all, and he visits the first temple period, and then he goes into the future and looks. He's and, they, and, and what is he looking through? The fish of the eyes of the fish. Isn't that awesome? You can see this guy in there looking through the eyes of the fish like binoculars, like looking out at this time traveling machine, and he's like, "What a ride of having the ride of his life," it's, you know? And and then finally he's like, "Okay, I vow, uh, you know, that thing you want, I'll do." And then, but what does God do? God doesn't open the mouth of the fish. What does he do? He talks to it. He says to it. Right, what, all of a sudden, like, fish and God are having this conversation? That's an interesting thing. Right, what do you He talks to the fish. V'yomer, Adonai ledag. Nah, by the way, the, the fish is a boy again. Um, um, and then spits him to the Yabasha, to the dry land. Because he said earlier, I believe in the God of land and of sea. Okay, all right, we got to speed up. All right, so who are we up to? Verse 1 in chapter 3. So now Jonah spit out. And the word of the ah. Lord came to Jonah second time saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim upon it the proclamation that I speak to you. Okay, now we could compare verse 2 of chapter 1 with verse 2 of chapter 3, where he first says go, he says kum, and he again says kum, 
Um, and now he gives a little bit more explanation of what to do, right? What did he say over there? Um, not he, but what did, what did God say in the text over there? Go there, proclaim against it, for the evil has become come. Okay, okay, more or less the same thing, right? We can kind of we can kind of uh, contrast a little more. But it says Ir Hagadola. How big is this city? We'll see later. One hundred twenty thousand people. One hundred twenty thousand people live in Nineveh. Okay, and he gets a second chance. Now, possible another reason why we read this on Yom Kippur. What's Yom Kippur if it's not about second chances, right? Um, you are forgiven, right? We're not a religion of, oh, you failed, you're gone, right? You ran away, come back. You know, you take a little vacation in the fish, you know, the time traveling machine. Now, you, all right, here's your second chance. I'm going to give you the exact same command. All right, verse 3. And Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, turning to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a walk of three days. And Jonah Okay, great. So we saw that three again. The, um, oh, he walks for three days, right? Um, you know, again, that three significance. And then um, he utters, how many words does he utter? Five words. Od arbayim yom v'ninveh Right? In another 40 days, Nineveh will be overturned. Now, um, we can pick, as the commentators pick up, nepachet is a very interesting word. Um, uh, it really means uh, transformed or turned upside down. Hefech. It's like you say, uh, 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 lehefech. You say lehefech. You say, someone says something, you say lehefech. You know, it's kind of like Israeli culture, it's a little bit um, uh, combative. Uh, you know, like the dialogue, Jewish dialogue is a little bit combative. Like when, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little, you know, for lots of interesting reasons, the way that Jews, and actually, it's, you know, one of the interesting things, that when people convert into Judaism, they learn Jew talk. You learn, you, like you learn Jew talk, and one of the five signs of Jew talk is that it's combative, and you have to learn how to kind of engage in that kind of, uh, that, that way of interacting. Um, <laughs> so, but, but someone says, uh, someone says something, you say, meaning what you're saying is the opposite, right? Um, it's overturned, it's the opposite. Only five words, 40 days. Jonah only needs three days to, uh, to uh, uh, be transformed. He's giving them 40 days, okay? Verse five. Okay, why is that also interesting to us? Good, another Yom Kippur theme. What does it mean to repent? You fast. Okay, keep going. And word reached the king of Nineveh, whereupon he rose from his throne, took off his royal robe, felted himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. Okay, okay, great. Um, so there's something to say about that, but I'll say it after the next one. Let's see the next verse. And because he proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the counsel of the king and his nobles, saying, Neither man nor beast, neither cattle nor sheep shall taste anything. They shall not graze, neither shall they drink water. Okay, now tell me if I'm misreading this, but what's kind of uh, interesting to me here is what, is what happens in verse 5. The people do, they fast and, and uh, don sackcloth, right? And then what happens in verse 7? The king proclaims everyone should fast and put on, right? Yeah. 
I mean, this feels like, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, we see this from certain types of leaders today, <laughs> basically say what everyone's already doing, you know? Um, but, you know, I mean, you know, it, it's very strange that he asks them to do what they've already kind of done, that people are kind of wiser. What's it's just a little more expansive, because now he's including their cattle and, their, you know, the other animals, and, which I really don't understand, because yeah. they have, certainly have not sinned. You know, why are they being deprived? Ah, right. Yeah, that, that, that question emerges throughout the text of why animals are kind of punished along with people. And so when it says ra, they did evil, the rabbis almost unequivocally, uh, or you know, almost unanimously, um, understand it as the same as the flood story, the Hamas, that it's Hamas, it's violence. Now what's fascinating is that, um, and then over there they say that the animals were involved in this also, right? Um, typically animals just kill what they need to eat, right? Well, as humans will kill a lot more than they need to eat, right? Um, but what we see over here, which is kind of interesting, is that um, um, this city is 120,000 people. This guy walks into town, and he says five words, and the whole place is, like, transformed. Like, what in the world is going on here, right? I'm like, the, the, if, like if this was the rebellious, impotent, like, like um, prophet who runs away, all of a sudden, he's, like, the most powerful guy in the world. He says five words, and the whole place is, like, Phew which might be a statement of his greatness or might be a statement of their greatness, right? Now, everyone's surprised that the king is so reactive. And so the commentators, you know, again, a little fantastical, they say, who do they say the king is? It's Pharaoh. Pharaoh is back from Egypt. Because the only one who would really react this quickly would be the one who saw the plagues and he saw what could happen. And over there, it took 10 plagues for him to react. Now, up. Oh, that God's still alive. I thought he was gone. Right? He's here. Everybody, let's take this seriously. We don't because this is this is serious, right? Okay. So now he now now this is obviously centuries later. You know, at least this would be at least five to six hundred centuries later. You know, so maybe they think he lived a long time, or there was some mummification, and then they pumped him with some, uh, you know, what do you call those energy juices today? It's been twenty years since I drank those things. Red Bull. Yeah. You know, as a teenager, we used to drink these Red Bulls in the middle of the night. Uh, <laughs> no offense if anyone still drinks Red Bull and, and you don't identify as a teenager. Um, okay, verse 8. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, last line of the chapter. Okay, good. It's a shvu, teshuva. They, they, they had a full repentance, right? Okay, so um, the whole town repents, right? The, the entire city. The entire city repents. Um, what appears to be um, a very genuine repentance. We have no reason to question it. It says they repented of their evil way. Right? And they, uh, and they changed their actions. They changed their deeds. Okay. All right. Chapter 4. So, so you could break up the book in, uh, in half. The first two chapters is a story about Jonah fleeing. And the second two chapters is a story of Jonah fulfilling the mission he was given. Okay? All right. Chapter 4. Now we're going to kind of get into the psychology of who this guy is a little bit more. Whoa, not even grieve. He's angry. He's furious. Why is he mad? 
I'm the prophet of truth. I'm not a prophet of mercy. The truth is those people were wicked and you should have killed them, right? You should have killed those people. I am so mad that you've allowed them to live, okay? Okay, lots to unpack there, but let's keep going in the interest of time. Okay, he wants to die again. Now, now it may seem virtuous earlier. It doesn't seem as virtuous now. Keep going. And the Lord said, are you deeply grieved? Yeah, so is God surprised? Is God rebuking him? Why are you so deeply grieved about this, right? Okay. And Jonah had gone out of the city and had stationed himself on the east of the city and there he made himself a hut and sat under it in the shade until he would see what would happen to his friends. Not just a hut, he builds a sukkah. <laughs> it says sukkah. Um, and so it's almost like he's going to the movies at this point. He's upset about it. He wants to see what's going to happen. He sets up a hut outside the city. Right? He's, he won't go inside. He doesn't want anything to do with those people. He wants them dead. He sets up his hut outside and he sits there. He wants to watch what's going to happen. Are they going to become evil again? Is God going to kill them? What's going to happen? He's, he's entertained. All right, verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a kikayon. Mm. I, it says kikayon there because we don't really know what this is. Some kind of bush. Some kind of, you know, and people who study, what do you call, uh, herbiculture? Is that what you call, what do you call people who study plants? Botanists. Okay, isn't it a herb something? Okay, horticulture. Horticult, yeah, okay. okay. And grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head Okay, like sitting in a sukkah in Arizona, apparently sitting in a sukkah in Iraq is hot. He's really happy about the shade he's got. And he says, Simcha Gadola. He has so much joy from this thing. This guy is a miserable guy. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, this is my whole dream, finally. There's no kids to bother me. I don't, I don't have to go to work. I'm going to sit under this little bush and enjoy my quiet life in Arizona. You know, he loves it. He's sitting in the desert. He's on retirement, finally. All right? Okay. Now God appointed a worm at the rise of dawn on the morrow, and the worm attacked the kikion, and it went... <laughs> so now the worm eats his little shade, right? Uh, it's, it's almost like he moves into his retirement house, and what does he find out? Next door, it, it's, a, it's a, what do you call it? Um, what do you turn a house into things that people rent all the time? Airbnb, where they have a party every night. He's like laying in his bed. There's like these teenagers with a keg party next door. Uh, what, ha- what did you do to me? What did you do to me? All right. All right, verse 8. Third time. Oh, again. All right, let's keep going. <laughs> so he's so fr- all, he couldn't care less about Nineveh being destroyed but he cares about this little plant above his head right what are these priorities of this guy and God keeps asking him questions like what's going on with you man like why are you so upset about this okay verse 10 and the Lord said you took pity on the decay for which you did not come on nor did you make it grow, which one night came into the being 
Okay, last, the last verse of the book. That's it. Story's over. Have a good Yom Kippur. Later. Right? I mean, it's unbelievable. By the way, it's the only biblical book that ends with a question. The only one that ends with a question. Almost begging us to imagine what a fifth chapter would look like. Right? And, like, that would be a great book to write. The fifth chapter of Jonah. Right? Oh, there you go. I got a poem, Barbara. There, I, we want to read your poem. The fifth chapter of Jonah. What, does, Jonah does Jonah kill himself? Does Jonah repent? Does Jonah convert and become a Ninvite? Right? What is going to do? Or what's the future? It's like he has this question. God gets the, you know, last, gets the last question in the book. He's, he's totally startled by this. So, um, yes, please. I do not understand why the people on the boat, on the first ship, yeah. had so much power right. that they could draw lots yeah. to decide who was at fault. Mm. And they decided it was Jonah, or mm. they could decide it was Jonah. Uh, <laughs> right. What's that? They didn't decide. They picked lots, and he got the short story. Right. So, yeah, so they believe in the power of these. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so. Oh, 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 I see. Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah, so I guess they believe in the power of this, of, ran, of these random uh, things. So did the argument that God made sure that Yeah. he got the short story. Yeah, right, 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 right. Okay, so why, so why do we read this on Yom Kippur? What are some reasons we said already? We said because of the casting lots, um, which is Yom Kippurim. It's a day like Purim where there's casting lots. Um, we said that there was, what, fasting, right? We saw real repentance. The whole city of Nineveh does tshuva, right? They all do repent. Um, we saw, um, what else do we see? We, you can't run away from um, you can't run away. We saw um, that, that he's given a second chance, right? You can't be self-centered, right? Um, we see a little bit of this kikayon, of this critique of kind of materialism, right? You couldn't care about the lives of a whole city, but you care about like your comfort, your shade from the sun, right? Kind of this critique of uh, lack of a spiritual life, right? Then we see um, that um, that... God is not a God of truth. God is a God of mercy, right? Um, maybe even too much. This might be a wicked city, and, but he wants their, even uh, them changing their ways for, or, or declaring they will is enough. You're, you're, like you are, you're saved, right? Um, but also that the Torah cares more about values than truth. Ben Amitai, you're the guy of truth. Get away with your truth, right? We don't, we don't care about the absolute truth. We care about, about the values, right? We care about the values of giving people the chance to, to transform their lives, right? So Yom Kippur, you know, be gentle with yourself. Um, if you declare today you're going to live different, it's accepted. You get a second chance, right? Don't be so judgmental of the other one, whether they did it or not, right? Turn it back to yourself a little bit, right? So there's really a lot there. At first glance, it makes no sense that this is a Yom Kippur story, right? This is a rebellious prophet. Um, does he, does, it's not even clear that Jonah himself repents, as we saw. Um, clearly, and the best case for the fact that the prayer is not a prayer of, 
of, uh, of, of repentance is how the story ends. God is still rebuking him, right? He cares, uh, he, he's sitting there watching, for, waiting for God to destroy the town, only caring about his own uh, little kikayon. Yeah, there's no indication that they become Jews. Um, it would be an interesting, uh, you know, text. Nor is there any indication that they turn away from idolatry. It seems to be that there's a moral repentance, not necessarily a, a truth repentance, which also goes to the, this kind of critique of truth. Um, that Jonah is, is perhaps too wedded to what, um, what, 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 what ought to be. Um, uh, and... Um, so, uh, and so too on Yom Kippur, one might suggest um, that we should be, uh, you know, gentle with others um, and gentle with ourselves and not committed to this necessarily meta-narrative of truth of who we are, but rather focused on, you know, what, you know, what I can do today. Okay, now, why does he run away? Why does Jonah run away? The most obvious read is he doesn't want to do it, right? Why doesn't he want to do it? He's scared. Um, he's scared of what? What will happen to him in Nineveh if he goes there? Right. Will he be killed? Yeah, he's right. Against 120,000 points. Okay. So one read of it is he's afraid they're going to kill him. What you know? What, um, any other possible reads? Why would he run away? He's afraid of, of what's uh, Oh, okay. If what? If he if he hangs around and continues to question God. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay, so there he's not running from the Ninvites, he's running from God ultimately. So who is he actually afraid of? What's that? He runs from everything. And yeah, exactly, he runs from everything. And you might have actually said there that, that he's running, it's, a, it's actually a genuine fear of God that he's running. He's a religious person. He, he's running because he can't handle this. He's afraid of God. He's, a, he's not afraid of the Ninvites, you might say. I yeah. think he's afraid to be the cause of the death of 120,000 people. Oh, I what if I fail? What if I fail? I'm not adequate. If I don't go, they don't die. Oh, oh, interesting. They never get the warning. They can't be killed without the warning, right? He doesn't think much of those people. I mean, he says they don't know their right hand from their left. He has no respect for these people. Mm -hmm. And he's, I mean, he's... It's an awful responsibility on your head if you're told you go there and 120,000 people are going to die. Okay. Okay, um, so, so, so I had eight pages of commentary to bring that we were going to look at, um, which we're not going to look at, but, um, the, but, but the rabbis are very interested. Um, some of them are very critical of Jonah, but many of them are very interested in redeeming him um, because how could a prophet be such a rebellious? I mean, how could this guy be chosen to be a voice of God and be a total rebel? I mean, that, that, which is another possible understanding of why it's a Yom Kippur reading. We are Jonah. Right? We are Jonah. This is a simple guy who we can relate to. Abraham, go kill your son. We can't relate to that guy. I'm going to go kill my son. I can't, you know, Moses, I'm going to go speak to Pharaoh. We can't relate to that guy. You know, but this guy, we're running away. You know, we care about our little kikayon. I mean, how many of us already were like yelling at a service person on the phone earlier today? We got all worked up because my cable's off, right? My air conditioning is two degrees too high. We're going crazy about it. We all kind of give, you know, are a little bit worried about our kikayon, right? I, maybe you're better than me, you know? <laughs> Um, but, you know, I was on a service call about something, you know, and, um, and so we can relate to this guy. Yom Kippur, we need a prophet we can relate to, 
you know, because this is about really changing our lives. It's not like some abstract intellectual lesson about society, right? So um, why else might he run, do they say? One is that he's worried about being a Navi Sheker, a false prophet. He is worried about the, the, the kavod, the, the glory of the institution of prophets. And he has already tried a few times, they imagine, before this book, to tell cities they were going to be destroyed as God's messenger. And also there, he was so effective that they transformed themselves and were not killed. And if he over here, if they transform themselves, what are they going to say? You're a false prophet. You told us we're going to be destroyed in 40 days. He didn't say over there, change your ways or you'll be. He said, you're going to be overturned in 40 days. Now they're going to go to this guy and be like, well, you're a false prophet. We, God's not killing us. It's been 40 days. So he's worried not only for his life, but to respect. He wants to respect the word of God and the prophets. That He says, God, for your honor, I don't want to be the one that they're going to say is a false prophet. The Jews are false prophets, they're going to say. Because look at us. We changed our ways. We're righteous. And God didn't kill us, you know. Okay, so that's one. The other way they understand it is that this guy is, a, is an Ohev Yisrael. He loves the Jewish people. And what are the Assyrians? The Assyrians are a murderous, violent, nasty people. You want to save these people who are about to co commit genocide against us? They're going to come commit another crusade, another pogrom, another holocaust? And you want me to go to those people and save them? I know what they're going to do. They've been lining up at our borders from Iraq. They've been lining up there ready to wipe us out. We're no match for these people. He is trying to save the Jewish people, and he's standing up for them um, over there. So there's a number of moves they want to make to redeem this guy. Um, and, he, and, and lastly, he wants to point out that, um, that, they, um, that their repentance is, uh, is fake. It's ultimately a fake repentance. Um, and... Uh, and that actually gets back into the, kind of, into the Christian reads of it as well, that part of it is a Christian fantasy that actually the whole city does, does uh, repent and accept God in a way that might not have happened in Jesus' time, or it could be read as, no, this is also a fake repentance as well here. Okay, so closing questions or, or thoughts that folks have about this book of Jonah before we wrap up here. Yeah. Um, in, in this story... Is there any indication of why he was picked rather than, you know, Joe down the block? Yeah, I mean, right. Who was he that he uh, was picked for this honor? Okay, great. Yeah, and no indication here. The rabbis show that he existed earlier in the Book of Kings and that he, a miracle, you remember there's a little boy that whose life is saved uh, in this miracle with Elijah and Elisha, and there's this little boy who's brought back to life. They say he was the little boy. Jonah was that little boy in the book of Kings who was saved. And he has a debt to, he has a debt to pay. And, and he comes from this father of truth. So he's got a good lineage. He's got wealth. He's got a debt to pay. Um, and so he's this going to be this chosen figure. But over here in the text, we, got, we have nothing. The word comes to him, right? Um, going back to Jonah, his name itself, not even, forget the Ben Amitai, this notion of Jonah, he is to be the messenger of a new world, right? He is to be the dove who says, I found the dry land. Again, the dove who founds the dry land. Um, instead, he's a little bit like Noah. Save me and let the world burn or drown, 
you know, let the world drown. I'm going to save myself in this ark, right? Um, where Jonah, Noah makes no attempt to save the people flooding, right? Um, so just, you know, to, you know, just like Jonah to some degree. So, um, so, so yes and no, I guess. Yeah, others? Oh, yes. Anyone who would like a commentary, I will, I will give this to you. Just a little heads up on what they are. Um, there's Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer, which is an agudic midrashic work of the 8th century. Fascinating stuff. A modern biblical scholar, Professor Tigay. The Mea Hashiloach is the Hasidic Ishbitzer Rebbe from the 19th century. Then I, oh, actually, I brought some stuff with Yom Kippur and Purim in there, comparing that stuff. Then Ibn Ezra, 12th century Spain. The Arbarbanel, 13th, 14th century Spain. They're looking at, is the repentance real? The Agudic, uh, the Agudic uh, Midrash, roughly 6th century. Pasikta de Rav Kahana, that's at the Talmudic era. And then uh, some stuff about Yom Kippur as well in there. Um, maybe, the, um, maybe the one thing... Uh, um, yeah, no, actually, it's not, even worth, uh, it's not even worth looking at it right now. But I think uh, if you're interested in some of those commentaries, it's fascinating stuff. And um, a lot of people are asleep by the time we're reading Jonah and Yom Kippur or, <laughs> or whatever they're doing. But actually, I think it's a fascinating story that perhaps we can relate to. And it's a complicated figure. Is this a, a rebellious, fearful guy um, who's quite impotent and, um, and materialistic? Or is this a hero who is just a human being like all of us, struggling to kind of figure out his path and mission in the world? So with that, thank you all so much. Thank you. Wonderful. Thanks to learn with you. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybaitmadrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.